Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Welcome to The Animal File. We have another series for you. Three episodes, all focusing on very controversial, provocative topics. We're going to talk about the difference between animal rights, animal welfare, and animal welfare science. They are all different. Even though they may seem to overlap, which they do, they are all different. And we are not going to get into opinion pieces here. We do have very strong opinions about these things, but as is our way, we are just giving you the information so you can understand animal rights or animal welfare and where you may wanna land in that conversation. So with that warning (laughs) or transparency or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) let's dive into our first episode, which is all going to be about animal rights. And here is probably the most controversial part of this series. So let's just dive right in here. (laughs) Yeah. So in this episode, we're going to discuss what animal rights is or how it's been defined, the goals of the animal rights movements, and some examples of the animal rights concepts. All right, so what are animal rights? When I was trying to find out what the actual definition was for animal rights, I found that there were a variety of definitions. Really? Okay. Technically, the animal rights movement has been around for quite a while. It's been around for thousands of years in one form or another. However, this movement is more of a belief or an opinion and not like an actual agreed upon definition. Okay. And these definitions or descriptions have evolved from lawyers, animal rights advocates, and philosophers. Well, that's an interesting mix there. Yeah. So as you can probably guess, they all, well, they all have different ideas of what animal rights are. So I've got five definitions here that I've chosen to give you an idea of some of the difference of opinions and ideas of what animal rights is. So the first one is the philosophy according to which many or all sentient animals have moral worth that is independent of the utility for humans and that their most basic interests, such as in avoiding suffering, should be afforded the same consideration as similar interests of human beings. I think we can all get on that bandwagon. I like that definition. (laughs) All right, what's the next one? The next one is the belief that animals have the right to live free from use in medical research, hunting, and other services to humans. That's a 50-50 for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they should not be using medical research. And I'm not a big believer in game hunting, but there are people who Mm. hunt to feed their family and they should be allowed to do so. Yeah. And then, of course, you have service dogs and therapy dogs, Mm. police dogs. They all do noble work and Mm. they're there to help us willingly 
they're not being forced to do so. I don't know. That's like, that's a, that's a touchy one. That's a touchy one. All right. So let's, okay, let's move on to the next one. Let's see. Let's see if they're getting harder to agree with or less. The next one is the belief that animals deserve certain kinds of consideration, consideration of what is in their best interests, regardless of whether they are cute, useful to humans or an endangered species. And regardless of whether any human cares about them at all, it means recognizing that animals are not ours to use for food, clothing, entertainment, or experimentation. I was on board with that until that last part. (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you this is going to be a little bit touchy and controversial and thought-provoking and whatever. So... So stick around the whole episode because there's going to be a lot of information that may help you figure out where you land on this spectrum because that's what it is. It is a spectrum. Right. The next one is the belief that non-human animals should be free to live as they wish without being used, exploited, or otherwise interfered with by humans. Yeah, I'm not really on board with that one. Mm, Yeah. Especially when animals choose to be with humans. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's just taking away the animal's choice. Because mm-hmm. just like we have free will, they have free will. So if they want to interact with the human, if they want to live with the human, they should be allowed to do so. Yeah, I think that belief stems from the idea that we force animals to live with us and we're not giving them the free will to come and go as they want. And Oh, yeah. Well, that's just like you know. anarchy. Really? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think they're going to get a nice little dose of where my brain is at here. (laughs) All right. What's our last definition? I'm really kind of holding myself in. So I hope you're proud of me. (laughs) We'll see how well you do in the second half. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Nail biter moment. All right. So what is the last definition? So the last one is the moral or legal entitlements attributed to non-human animals, usually because of the complexity of their cognitive, emotional, and social lives, or their capacity to experience physical or emotional pain or pleasure. Okay, that's kind of like vague, because all creatures on this planet can experience pain, pleasure, emotional, (laughs) physical experience. I mean, they all have a cognitive level to them. Mm. Well, that comes from the Encyclopedia that. Britannica. So that might explain why it's, that's why it's kind of generic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the PC way of saying it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is kind of my, my understanding. After reading all of those different definitions and opinions, This is my interpretation of what I read out there, is that essentially the underlying theme around animal rights seems to be the legal entitlements of non-human animals and the idea that these non-human animals should not be harmed for the benefit of human animals. But I think the definition and idea of harm and suffering seems to vary widely. I would agree with that. Yeah. Because some people view owning pets as being harmful because they are not given the freedom to live as they choose and we're preventing them from having a choice. When that's not the case. (laughs) I mean, if you own a dog, you know the dog wants to be with you. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not, 
technically they're not really going to run away unless they're not receiving the proper care at home. Exactly. They're not, they're getting neglected or they're not being given the attention that they need or the companionship that they need. If they're getting everything they need, they have no reason to run away. Exactly. Yeah. Some people believe that humans force pets to be reliant on them and animals neglect their instinctual natures to get their needs met. This came from Doris Lynn, who is an animal rights attorney. I don't think she's necessarily saying that's her belief, just that this is what some people think about it. Yeah. And hopefully all you listeners out there realize that here at the Animal Files, we are promoting the fact that your animal can still experience its own instinctual nature within the confines of our human world. There is a balance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of the extremists, not all of them, but the extremist animal rights likes to forget, I guess, mm. that there is a compromise. Mm-hmm. And that compromise means to take your human ego out of the equation and listen to the animal. Mm-hmm. Those of our listeners who know and understand when we talk about animal communication and spirituality, if you follow those behaviors, between our species, then there is no forcing. There is no neglecting of instinctual natures because you're allowing them to be a cat. You're allowing them to be a dog, but you're also allowing them to have the choice to live with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if they want to run away from you, then you're the one that's being neglectful because like Miranda said, if you're treating the animal with kindness and respect, it won't want to leave you. Because it thrives with you when you are allowing the animal to be a full, complete, sentient being, Mm -hmm. even in our human world. And I think that's what the majority of people believe, that as long as pets are being treated with compassion, respect, understanding, and proper care, that there is no harm being done to these animals, and it's a mutual relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, many of the views that have evolved around animals... And like they're starting to shift over maybe the last 10 years or so. But many of the ideas that people have held around animals evolved and became popular by a Western philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes in the 17th century. His belief was that non-human animals were mindless, did not have the ability to feel any pain or discomfort or mental stress any of those kinds of things. So he felt that it was okay for us to do whatever we wanted to these animals, that it didn't matter. Yeah, we now know different. Yeah, I'm sure there's still people in this world who still have that view. Oh, I'm sure of it, but it is massively shifting. Oh yeah. And I think that's why I get a little confused as to why some of the extreme animal rights advocates are white knuckling some of these beliefs. Like we're not already doing that. Like I, I don't, I don't understand it, Mm -hmm. but I guess when you're in the same resonance field, which is, that's pretty much what it is. It's the polarity. It's like, you have this side over here that is like animals have no emotion, feel no pain, have no Mm -hmm. intelligence. And then Mm -hmm. you have over here where I tend to be more towards the side of animals having a soul and a spirit and sentience consciousness and all of that. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, when you're on that same resonance field, when one is so extreme, the other needs to be just as extreme. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm again, we have to find where we land on that spectrum Mm -hmm. and find what feels right to you. Everything we say here, you know, we try not to expect you to believe what we believe because you are your own person. You need to figure out what works for you and using discernment with everything and asking the question, well, is that really true? Mm-hmm. on either side is where you find out where you land. Mm-hmm. We have to ask questions. We have to see what feels right to us, what feels like, what what feels yeah. too much, you know? It needs to go beyond just the idea of logic because science and other information that is out there may not be correct. Mm-hmm. And there is so much information about everything. And Essentially, you can find information to back up whatever it is you believe, but it's really about connecting within yourself and being able to see, does this really truly resonate with me? Or am I just believing what the masses are saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would have to add, what does the animal want? Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of our human logic and stop trying to dictate how these animals should live their lives and let them choose their own way. If they want to be with humans, they should be with humans. And if they have been neglected by humans, yes. Okay. That's where animal welfare comes in. So if this show today is kind of hitting buttons in you, then you're going to want to come back next week because we're going to talk about the other side of this, which is animal welfare. And they'll give you more information. They'll give you more data so you can make that decision. And then three weeks down the road, we're going to talk about the science of this stuff. So you're going to want to wait until you have the entire picture. Mm -hmm. We want to keep the animal side in mind. It is not up to us to dictate what other creatures around us, whether they're animal or human, want. Mm -hmm. That's not our job. All right. I, I started, I starting to get in a little deep there, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying. It's a hard one for me. Okay. <laughs> so let's break down the goals. What are the goals of the animal rights movement? We talk a lot on this show about the animal welfare, the goals of animal welfare, and we're going to go more into detail with that next week. But what are the goals of the animal rights movement? Because it is different. It is. And some of this is based on the extreme ideas of it and the less extreme ideas of it. The first idea or the first goal is to place animals beyond use of human beings. So this is a goal for some of the animal rights activists, but not all of them. Another part of it is to put an end to exploitive industries and practices, which include laboratory testing, whaling, and puppy mills. Yeah, we're we're all on board with that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know some of the animal rights activists will go beyond that and will say that anything where we use animals in any way or form, whether it's as a support for us uh, emotionally or for a physical condition or something like that, they would still consider that to be exploitive. So I looked up what the meaning of exploitation actually is. And the three definitions that I found was 
that it's the action or fact of treating someone unfairly in order to benefit from their work. I would agree with that. The act of selfishly taking advantage of someone or a group of people in order to profit from them or otherwise benefit oneself. Mm -hmm. And the last one is an act that exploits or victimizes someone, treats them unfairly. That's probably where the gray area is. Right. Because they're they're dictating what's fair and what's not. Right. Okay. Because I'm on board with all that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very... That's the thing with a lot of our terminology is that people can interpret it to their own desire, I guess, or their own purpose. Probably, yeah, desire and purpose. Mm-hmm. The word that came into my head was agenda. Yeah. What's their agenda? Mm-hmm. We can love animals and not understand that animals can love us in return. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who love animals and know that animals love us back. Mm -hmm. And we allow the space for that animal to thrive within our world. Now, there are many approaches that are being used or considered for achieving these goals. And I'm sure many of you have seen a lot of these things. Maybe you've walked by them. Maybe you've taken part in watching them or participating in them. Things like public demonstrations, documentaries summits, other educational tools, petitions, advocating for for certain lifestyle choices. And I'm sure there's other things that are out there too. Yeah, but those are the big ones. Yeah. So with all of these things, humans are affected by their choices regarding animals and can see pros and cons on both sides of the animal rights, depending on where they stand on these different elements. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the profits that come from animal industries. We've got many advancements in technology that is supposed to make agriculture and farming to be much easier, much faster. Money making. Yeah. There's something that has started to come into play called CAFOs, C-A-F-O, which is Concentrated Animal Farming Operations. I think... That doesn't sound very good. No, I kind of, I I didn't go in depth in looking into it, but I think it's very like very much a mechanical hands-off sort of operation. You know, how much can you do? Kind of like these chicken farms where chickens are on top of each other and they don't have any room to grow. The pig farms that these pigs are in cages that they can't move around with. You can barely leave and lay down. Right. Like that stuff. Yeah, I'm totally against that stuff. Yeah. Because they're completely eliminating animal welfare Mm -hmm. just to make money. And yeah, I'm way against that. There's also the globalization aspect with these animal industries because it used to be you know, within a particular country, but now these animals are being shipped back and forth. There's trade all over the place and all these different things that are going on with with globalization. Then you've got job opportunities and availability. There are some people who have these small farms and it's how they live. It's how they support themselves. And if they were no longer allowed to have a farm, they'd have nothing. Yeah. And we also wouldn't have these smaller farms with more organic food for us. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. The globalization, it takes away from, I don't know, that small farm ideal is what we need to go back to, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to help with the animal welfare and the animal rights because then we won't be treating these animals and having to pump them with all this garbage. Mm -hmm. 
I think there's that aspect, but I think it's also humans that have to look at their eating habits because most first, well, probably every single first world country is wasteful. Oh yeah. How much food do we throw away? We probably even eat more food than we actually need to. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm not a big fan of globalization because you're producing more food than what your immediate population needs just to Mm -hmm. make money. Mm -hmm. So you're putting the animals at risk and you're putting people at risk too, because your farming practices are not ethical for either animal or human. Mm -hmm. Then another aspect of it is the effects on environment. That's a rabbit hole in itself. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen the argument that having animal farms creates a huge carbon footprint. But yeah, but not eating animals creates an arm. (laughs) Sorry. But then again, okay, well, I'm going to probably add to it anyways. (laughs) If we, I told you guys. If we become solely vegans and all we eat is vegetables, how is that not going to affect the environment? Exactly. I mean, animals produce a heck of a lot faster than humans do. So if animals keep reproducing and reproducing and reproducing with no check on them, guess what? In 50 years, we have no room. Hmm. Humans are gone. So I I don't know. (laughs) Like I said, (laughs) rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, it's spicy tonight. <laughs> so the last one under these aspects, and this is also a really, really big one, is the politics and the influencers who can greatly affect the laws. Talking about a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I will stay off the box about big aggro. I just completely stay off <laughs> of that box because we would be here for three hours. We don't want to go there. Oh, my goodness. But I guess I could say that, you know, when it comes to the laws and people in politics, that there can be different people in the political arena who have different viewpoints, because you don't usually see a law or a bill being introduced and then coming to fruition within a year. It usually is there for a while before it's either kicked out or accepted. Yeah. Or if there's enough money in government, it goes through pretty quickly, but we won't go there. (laughs) Rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) So as you can see, there's an awful lot to consider. There's an awful lot of facts, awful lot of thoughts and ideologies and places where you can land on that spectrum. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about animal rights concepts, but I just want to add, yes, I kind of got up on a little bit of a box here and I believe Miranda is kind of with me with a lot of this stuff. (laughs) There is a balance that can be found. Definitely. And I think that's what this entire series is going to be about Mm -hmm. is how do you find your balance? And who knows, maybe this will get other people thinking. Maybe somebody in a position of authority will hear this and be like, oh, oh, that's a good point. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, let me get, hmm. I don't know. I think the more we have conversations like this without jumping down each other's throats, 
Mm-hmm. That's where we can start really putting the animals mm-hmm. top of mind because that they have to be there. Mm-hmm. We are so used to dictating what this person thinks and that person thinks and what this should be done and what should not be done. And, and we forget about the being that we're fighting and arguing over. Mm-hmm. I think this goes in with a lot of things. Oh yeah. You know, we see people fighting over children's rights, mm-hmm. but nobody's taken the children into consideration. It's all about what political view gets through. Right. It's all about opinion and belief and I'm going to fight you and it's us against you and all of that. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Cause that's how I see this whole animal rights versus animal welfare. And I tend to lean more towards animal rights, but I also understand that the animal has rights. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest issues with society is as humans, we tend to not be very skilled at listening. We might hear, but we don't actually listen and try to, well, not just listening, but also trying to understand somebody else's point of view. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I am starting to learn is that I don't need to defend my position. I don't need to push my position onto somebody else. I can have as strong an opinion as I want, Mm -hmm. but I don't need to try to force somebody else to come on board with me. And I think that's how we need to operate more. We need to respect different views, other people's opinions, but be willing to have an open discussion and actually hear the different ideas instead of being like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. Yeah. (laughs) And and you know what? When we have that open conversation, we actually learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Like some people who follow what a major animal rights organization is talking about hasn't done their research. So they are not only seeing one side of the story. If you look at both sides, actually all three sides, there are many, many, many points of information that need to be included in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And me being on one side of the spectrum does not mean I can't learn from somebody from the other side of the spectrum Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Right. We need to be able to have that conversation and include that third perspective, which is the animal's perspective, not what we think the animal's perspective is, but what the animal's perspective is in truth, then you end up finding a way to balance it all. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I told you this was going to be provocative. (laughs) And we encourage you to connect with us and let us know what your thoughts are. You might not agree with some of the things we said. Maybe you do agree, you know, but share your comments email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook group and go to our Facebook page. The Facebook group is the animal files community. The Facebook page is the animal files official. We'll be doing a post about this episode and you can share your thoughts on it. If you like us talking about these different controversial topics and you would really like us to bring more of it to you, then maybe consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon member or by choosing some of the merchandise that we have available as well. You can find all that on the website, which is the animalfilespodcast.com. When we come back, we are going to talk about the different examples of animal rights concepts. And this might be another one of those (laughs) sensitive little sections, but the more 
we have open conversations, the more we can find the balance. Mm -hmm. And with that, we will see you right back here in just a little bit. We hope you've been enjoying our show. Our listeners are very important to us, and we want to not only give animals a voice, but we want to give you a voice as well. So Miranda and I have created a community on Facebook to help us do just that. We would love for you to join us and let us know what questions and topics you'd like to know more about and what you feel is important to you and your animal. So pop on over to Facebook and search for the Animal Files community. You can join in the conversation so we can all give animals a voice. And we are back. You're listening to the Animal Files. And if you are just tuning in, we're in the controversial realm. We're talking animal rights. In the first half, we talked about what it means, what the definitions. So right now we're going to talk about examples of animal rights concepts. Now I'm going to agree with a bunch of this, but I'm also probably not going to agree with some of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do my best to zip the lip and just stay objective. So let's start. The first one is not doing any experiments on animals. I'm on board with that. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary for us to do any kind of testing on animals for things that are for human use. I know there's people who are going to strongly disagree with me, but I personally believe that if we need to test the safety of something for our benefit, then it should be tested on us in the first place. I would agree with that. The only thing that I would differentiate in is when it comes to saving the lives of other beings on this planet. And I'm not just saying humans. I'm even talking about saving the lives of animals. There is a certain amount of animal testing that I may not like per se, Mm. but I understand it has a place. It's saving animals' lives. It's saving humans' lives, but anything that has to do with cleaning your house, beauty products, stuff like that, no, no reason to test a shampoo on a bunny. That's wrong. I think even medicine that is for the use of a human being, there's no reason to test that on a non-human animal because they're not the ones that are going to be using it. Yeah. Medicines are going to react differently in an animal's body than it does a human's body. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. But yeah, human products, I don't know. It gets a little murky, I think, when you really go into that. Mm -hmm. I do my best not to buy products that are tested on animals. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something I've been doing for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's my way of helping. You have to figure out where you land when it comes to human products. Yeah. And I think one of the big things is the fact that humans can consent to whether they're being tested on or not, Mm -hmm. as long as there's open communication about it. And it's not a hidden thing. Yeah. There has been many, (laughs) many, many medical experiments done on humans that were unknowing. Yeah. Yeah, That's wrong too. Non-human animals do not have the ability to consent. Mm -hmm. So we basically force it on them, whether it might be for their benefit or not, we're still forcing it on them. Yeah. It's it's murky. It's really murky. Then there's behavioral testing that gets done as well. What exactly is that? Well, it's like doing different experiments to see how an animal is going to react behavior-wise. Oh, okay. So it's not something that's being injected into them or put into them in some way. It's more of like an outside 
stimulus that's being done kind of like scaring them for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, I guess Pavlov's theory is kind of like a behavioral testing. You know, he did this experiment to see whether or not dogs would eventually have the same behavioral reaction to hearing the bell as they did when they heard the bell and were given food at the same time. Yeah, of course. I think humans would do the same thing. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But in in all essence, there was real no harm done to Pavlov's dog. But there are many things like, how did you test a shock collar? Right. How did you test a barbed wire fence? You know, those things. mm, Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're actually doing something externally to either scare them or shock them for the sake of testing out a product, mm-hmm. I'm not, yeah, I have a problem with that. And those kinds of things generally are for the benefit of the human. Anyways, yeah. it's not in order to get the quote unquote desired behavior. Yeah. Then the next concept is no breeding or killing of animals for food, clothes, or medicine. If you're already using the animal's meat and you use the skin for clothing, I think I'm okay with that because there are still some people that make their own clothes from the food that they hunt for their family. But a mink farm Mm -hmm. or a fox farm so you can have a nice pretty coat, that needs to stop. Yeah, I don't agree with it entirely I mean, if you're directly killing animals for food, if in terms of going hunting and you're just like, oh, I just desire to have some moose meat this weekend. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. But with the idea of animals never being killed for food, that nobody ever eats meat again, I don't agree with that because that's, it's part of nature. Yeah. Like I said, if if there wasn't that balance, and I'm going to say balance, because if you choose not to eat meat, that's your right. Mm -hmm. But you need to allow others to choose what's right for them. And again, the spectrum, Mm -hmm. if humans stopped eating meat tomorrow, if every single one of us on this planet stopped eating meat tomorrow, humans would be gone in 50 years. We would no longer exist. I know that sounds extreme, but think about the rate that animals reproduce. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Well, and if you've got all of these domesticated animals, if nobody were to use them for meat anymore, the livestock, what happens to them? Mm -hmm. If we just suddenly stop using them for meat, it's not like you can just send them to the wild because they won't survive. Yep. They have no... Or they'll overrun. If you hear any of stories about pigs that got out and ended up becoming wild, there are countries on this planet that wild pigs are the most dangerous animals in that area. Okay. I guess it depends on what the predator ratio is. Yeah. That would, because yeah. the thing is, is that a domesticated animal is not going to have the instincts to protect themselves from their natural predators. Exactly. And all of these animals we eat, for the most part, are prey animals. Mm -hmm. They're not predator animals. Pigs might be that one gray area, Mm -hmm. but horses, cows, they're all prey animals. They have no defenses Mm -hmm. except for a back hoof. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it goes into so many rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. We could be here for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) I think the clothing industry needs to stop using animals. We don't need fur coats. No. If you live off the land in 
the center of nowhere and you are using the environment to support yourself and to keep yourself warm, that's different. Oh yeah. Very different situation. But if you are having a farm so you can have fur for $5,000 coats, Mm-hmm. No, that should not exist on this planet. Mm. Then, of course, you have salmon farms. Oh, yeah. But don't get me started. Don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back on track. Because <laughs> I can go way, yeah. way, way, way down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we must protect the listeners. <laughs> the next one is to not use animals for any hard labor. So, working animals that could be used for transportation, beasts of burden, police dogs, military. And, you know, military could be a variety of things. One of the ways that they do use them is to sniff out bombs. Mm -hmm. I can kind of agree with some of this in a way, but not entirely because I don't believe that if horses are treated well and taken care of properly, I don't think they have an issue with us riding on them. I don't think so either. Most of these animals like to do jobs. Mm -hmm. If you have a dog, like a working dog, say a shepherd or something that has been bred for hundreds of years to do a certain job, it's kind of in their DNA. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have a job to do, they are highly stressed. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there's plenty of wild horses out there that have freedom and whatever, and they just have to outrun a mountain lion. Mm -hmm. But some of these animals really thrive. If you really go to, say, a dressage meet where people are are riding horses, I'm not a big fan of racing, so I'm not even going to bring that in. Mm. But things like dressage and like agility things Mm -hmm. with horses. Mm -hmm. If you go to one of these things and a horse is being treated kindly and compassionately, Mm -hmm. they love what they're doing. I did a communication session with a horse. And one of the things the horse showed me was him watching a dressage meet. Now stick with me. I know it sounds weird, but this is what the horse showed me. Animals show us pictures in movies. That's kind of how they talk. So He was looking at this dressage field and watching dressage. And the feeling I got from that was a little bit of sadness. And what came out of that session was the horse wanted to do it. It wanted to have fun. It wanted to have the connection with the rider. But because the horse had an injured spine, Mm. what they call a kissing spine, he wasn't able to be ridden. Mm. And so he had this longing that he wanted to share with me Mm. because he couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So when you have situations with that and you get a glimpse of how the animals see their world, Mm -hmm. some of these animals like doing the jobs that they're doing. Mm -hmm. They really do. They don't like being treated poorly. Right. But if they love you and you have a connection with that horse, they will plow your field in a heartbeat because you're working as a team Mm -hmm. and they like that. Mm -hmm. So just my little thoughts on that. There are a lot of animals on this planet that like to do jobs and they should be allowed to do them. They shouldn't be forced to do them, but they should be allowed to do them. Right. You know, some people might say, well, in the wild, they don't have jobs, but I think they do have a job. Their job is to survive. That's their daily job. And when you take that out, they're bored. They get bored. Mm -hmm. And so they find joy in things just like every human on this planet will find joy in something. If you have a job that you love, you're not being forced to do that job. Right. 
take what we're doing, for example. Oh, I love doing this, yes. right? But this is so much fun. Mm-hmm. It's just a perspective mm-hmm. to add on to that little bit of platter of information yeah. we are <laughs> providing you. <laughs> but unfortunately, the treatment of these animals, that is the key thing. And that varies from country to country, right. culture to culture. There are some countries that will revere one animal as sacred, but the other animal garbage. Right. Because they're just there to do what they're told. Mm-hmm. So there's that spectrum too. But I think the conversation needs to go to how we treat them. We're going to go more into that yeah. next week. And I'd also say too that, you know, the countries where they have less resources compared to the first world countries, they're going to be more reliant on animals for things like transportation and physical labor because they don't have the mechanical and technological abilities that first world countries have. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. There's a lot here. As you can tell, guys, this is not a us or them conversation. This is a multi-layered, multi-dimensional, multi-perspective conversation. And knowing where you stand in this conversation and allowing people to stand where they stand is how these conversations actually work Mm -hmm. for the benefit of the animals. Mm -hmm. Another concept that is out there is to not breed animals selectively for any reason other than the benefit of the animal. I agree with that. Yes. A pug does not need a more squished up face. No, you know, I believe we need to not breed animals for our desires. We need to breed them so that they can thrive in the best way possible, health-wise, genetically-wise, all of these different things. It shouldn't matter what they look like as long as they're healthy. Exactly. This means considering puppy and kitten mills, pet stores, unreputable breeders, and other animal organizations that are selling animals solely for the purpose of profit. And they're not thinking about the well-being of the animals. Yep, I think we're both on that one. Mm -hmm. The main reason for this belief of no selective breeding is that animals should not be acquired and kept as companions, meaning that there's a lot of people who purchase animals for their own personal benefit, and it's not a mutual benefit for the animal as well. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about what the animal needs. They're only thinking about their own needs and desires. Yeah. Entertainment, jewelry, fashion statement. Yeah. But that goes with breeding and purchasing versus adopting. So people who adopt generally, they still could be doing it for their own needs and desires without truly thinking about the animal. But if they're thinking about going to an adoption place versus a breeder, they're probably more of the mindset that they want to help the animal and give them a home. So the next one is hunting. The concept that... Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Our next few ones are going to be pretty controversial here. <laughs> oh, yeah. The idea that there should never be any hunting whatsoever. And for the most part, I would be on board with this because a lot of the hunting that happens is not necessary and is being done solely for profit and sport entertainment. Yeah, game hunting should be banned, I think, across the globe. Yeah, the problem is is that it is illegal. Like things like poaching is illegal in a lot of places, but 
it's still happening. Yeah. Well, poaching is just bad to begin with because they're just trying to get a piece of that animal to sell on the black market, Yeah. which don't even get me started with that. You know, I mean, we have to look at the animal and the benefit of the species in itself. <laughs> we don't need to wail anymore. We don't need to bludgeon seals. We don't need to do any of that stuff. We don't need ivory. We don't need heads on our walls. We don't need a big giant fish that we got from the ocean on our wall. Mm -hmm. That is not looking out for the animals because most of those animals, especially those that are poached and used for trophy and game hunting, most of them are becoming endangered mm -hmm. if they aren't already. Mm -hmm. And in the poaching, most of these are on the verge of extinction. And we need to look at the animal. Again, we're going back to the animal. We have to figure out what is best for them. What's best for their species. And what about catch and release? <sighs> yeah. I, I, I have a weird thing with that. I mean, catch and release on a small scale, maybe, but on an angler scale where you're dealing with fish that are like hundreds of pounds and then, oh, I caught a shark. Let's put it back. Why'd you go fishing for the shark in the first place? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, would that be considered game hunting? Probably, right? I don't know. Like, I don't like it because I feel like it's causing them harm. You know, I mean, you look at those fish hooks, they've got the barbs on the end. Yeah. You try to, you pull that out. What kind of damage is that doing to the mouth? True. Even if yeah. they may not have the feeling necessarily, it's you know, how well are they surviving after that's happened to them? Yeah. If you're going to fish, eat the fish. Mm -hmm. Don't post it as a trophy. Don't throw it back. Just, just eat it. It's just, I mean, literally, if you're going to do that, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm getting all flustered. I have to like, <laughs> I have to rein myself back again. There's so many okay. questions about these things. And, and yeah. I understand, you know, I understand like a dad wanting to go fishing with their son. And, you know, I mean, there's so many, again, multi-layered, multi-dimensional, there's a huge spectrum. And I think we just need to find where we all land on that spectrum and just, mm -hmm. just stay in our own lane. I think, mm -hmm. because the more of us that kind of go towards the animal welfare and putting the animals first, the more those other things will lessen and not be as prevalent, but I don't think it'll ever go away. Mm. So what do we do in the meantime? Like, how do we find a balance? I don't know. I'm getting nuts here. We got, <laughs> we got so much more information here. Yeah. And some of these I'm like way against. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to really rein myself in here. So let's go to the next one. Okay. Which is about not having zoos or using animals in entertainment. So this could be sports like greyhound and horse racing, show jumping, rodeos, animal fighting, could also be circuses, bullfighting, plus I'm sure other things out there. All of these things, I think, except for maybe the show jumping, are all based in not respecting the animal. I agree. And that they're doing it to bring us enjoyment, but not themselves. Yeah. Whereas the show jumping, I think there's more of a partnership with it. I would agree. I'm on the, the fence where there's more zoos right now on this planet that are working towards conservation and they should be allowed to do that. Yes, there may be the whole concept of, yeah, but that tiger only has an acre of property to be in. That's 200 times less than what they would have in the wild. 
yeah, but in the wild, they'd be killed in two days. So Hmm. where do you draw the line? Right. This animal is being treated in a way that conserves the species Mm -hmm. and that keeps them from being extinct. And I think those types of zoos need to exist because most of the large zoos around the globe do that. Yeah. And they work in concert with each other. So like San Diego Zoo may be working with Sydney, Australia Zoo, and they're all working towards one cause. And that is to maintain the species that are currently on this earth and help put them back into the wild if they can Mm. and be able to promote those species to a thriving state. On the other hand, there are many other zoos on this planet that have no desire in conservation. Yeah. It's, it's about the entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the entertainment. It's like, okay, we're going to put this elephant in this 13 foot by 13 foot space, and they're going to be sleeping and walking on concrete and not being able to roam. That's what I'm against. Yeah. I'm just grateful that there's a massive shift towards the the conservation zoos. Yeah. I think the thing that's important with zoos is that they need to create enclosures that is as closely representative of their natural habitat as possible, Mm -hmm. giving them opportunities to get away from the people Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have to be exposed to hundreds of gawking people hours a day. They need to have their space. Yeah. They need their space and ways for them to not feel stressed. Yeah. And I think the larger zoos are actually doing that. I've been to several large zoos and I live close to Bronx Zoo and I've been there a couple of times and the enclosures, there are times when I go there, I don't see the animals because they're off in the back corner of their thing underneath a tree, just kind of hanging out and enjoying their life. And then some days I go there and I see a mom and then a cub runs out to meet her and it's wonderful. It's beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. So, and I was just at San Diego zoo a couple of years ago and the majority of the enclosures are as close as they can get to the environment that that animal would feel comfortable in. Mm -hmm. I'm just glad for the shift. Yeah. And these bigger ones, they also treat the animals better. Mm. That's another concept Mm -hmm. is that no abandoned or mistreated animals. So if somebody is treating the animals with compassion and not neglecting their needs in any way, I'm on board with that concept as well. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. No destruction of animal habitats. Mm, Big one. I think at this point, I don't think it's necessary for us to destroy any more animal habitats. We've done enough. We as humans can live in, I believe, in the areas that we have created for ourselves at this point. We don't need more space. And we also don't need to damage habitats for all our fancy products and stuff that we use either. No, we can leave the Amazon rainforest as it is. Mm. We don't need to cut down any more of it. There's plenty of farmland on this planet to feed everyone. Mm -hmm. Now this one kind of goes back to what you were talking about with zoos. No keeping animals in captivity. Yeah, I'm against that concept because what is captivity? You know, captivity for entertainment? Yeah, no, I I don't think an animal should be kept in captivity for entertainment, but... Mm -hmm. If an animal is kept in captivity for its own benefit or because they choose, then, I mean, an animal like a dog or cat will choose to be in captivity. (laughs) 
Yeah, right. So I guess so what, it's, what, it's what you mean. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, you mean by captivity. captivity. Yeah, you know, we have to see whether or not the animal is benefiting from it or not. Yeah. Now with zoo animals, they have been found to display stereotypic behaviors suggesting an underlying psychological distress not seen in the wild. Now it did not specify if it's a specific type of zoo that this is happening in. So maybe it's the ones that are not making the effort to create a habitat as natural to them as possible that is giving them space and enrichment and all those kinds of things. Yeah, we also have to remember the animals can adapt. They've been adapting to us humans for our entire existence. And if you provide what they need, then their stress levels will be greatly diminished because they won't feel like they're being restricted. Mm -hmm. And orcas in aquariums have been found to suffer from depression and boredom and have been placed on antidepressants. That I can see as being more realistic because they've got such tiny tanks to be in. They've got very little that has anything representative at all of what their natural lifestyle would be like Mm -hmm. yeah there's no reason for that to happen Mm -hmm. we don't need orcas to jump out of the water for us we don't need dolphins to do the same it's just it's wrong Mm -hmm. yeah it was i don't know 10 years ago or whatever it was we have west edmonton mall here which is one of the well-known malls Mm -hmm. in the world i think and we used to have an aquarium there where they had orca and sea lion. Oh my goodness. But there was, I'm guessing petitions and different things out went on. And they also had um, flamingos and stuff like that on display in there as well. All of the animal stuff has disappeared from the mall now. Good, 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 good. Glad to see it. Now all we can do is get SeaWorld to modify their behaviors and we'll be good. Mm -hmm. Now this next concept, I, mm, that's another one of those ones that I will keep my mouth shut, but (laughs) (laughs) there's no human interference in any way. Hello, seven point, what, eight billion people on this planet. Tell me how that's going to happen. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And with all the domestic animals, again, if we suddenly just decide, oh, we're not going to interfere with animals anymore what's going to happen with all of these domesticated animals? We can't just dump them and be like, okay, there you go. Take care of yourselves now. (laughs) (laughs) This last one kind of gets to me. To eliminate the concept of speciesism. What the heck? I mean, what's the whole point of that? That makes no sense to me. Please explain because I'm confused. Well, on one level, I can kind of understand it because if we go more onto the spiritual side of things, we are all one. Yeah. We're all the same (laughs) at a soul level. At a soul level. Yeah. But if you try to treat dogs the same way you would treat a horse, the same way you would treat a rabbit, just a baby, you know, like if you try to treat every living creature exactly the same way. It's not going to work because in the physical form that we are, we have different needs, different requirements. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would like to see people in California treat a house cat the same way they would treat a mountain lion. 
Yeah. And vice versa. Well, I don't know how that would go. Yeah. <laughs> I think there'll be a heck of a lot of mountain lion deaths in California. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess there's another aspect of it too that I can kind of understand as well, because I think the speciesism comes into the thought that People have long believed that non-human animals are less intelligent, less capable, just less in general than human animals. In that concept, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Nobody is less than on this planet. And ant has as much right to live as we do. So I'm on board with that. Mm -hmm. So this last couple, we're just going to run through. We got on a lot of, or I did at least, (laughs) got on a lot of soapboxes this half. And I'm sure next week we're going to have more of the same um, (laughs) when we talk about animal welfare, but hopefully you're getting an idea and we're not trying to make you think the way we do. We just want to give you all the perspectives and hopefully our perspectives on these topics can give you a little bit more insight, more data on your plate there. Mm -hmm. So let's go through these last couple things pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then if we need to expand on it, we can expand on it more next week and see if there's any place that we can clarify things for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Currently in most places in the world, non-human animals are considered property instead of sentient beings. This is in our legal system. Mm -hmm. If you are dealing with any legal issues and an animal is involved, the animal is going to be handled in the same way as property would instead of having their emotional and mental well-being taken into consideration. So they end up being something versus being someone. And of course, we always think of someone and who as being a human characteristic. Mm -hmm. So right now, their value of their life as it stands is dependent on market forces and demand. The consequences of something happening to an animal is the same as something happening to a piece of property like a home, vehicle, or possibly land. And the money or replacement is focused on more so than the non-human animal's life itself. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of a rabbit hole that can be gone down that maybe that in some arenas, not all, because I don't believe animals should be property at all, Mm -hmm. but legally, it may end up protecting the animal to some extent and protecting the animal's companion to some extent. That might be something we can go down Mm -hmm. because I think there would be a little bit of a discussion that could be had around that Mm -hmm. legally, not conceptually, but legally. Right. Now, from what I've been reading, it seems to me like the UK has made quite a bit of shifts in how they view animals, that they're a little bit further ahead than other places in the world. There are a few places in Europe that have started reviewing and adjusting their laws to view animals as living beings instead of property and protect them accordingly. Good thing. The view has been shifting to the idea that if someone mistreats a non-human animal, they are highly likely to mistreat a human animal which there's a definite connection there because if you see, definitely, you know, children who are abusing animals, that's going to likely carry into adulthood and they're going to end up causing harm to others as an adult, most likely. Mm-hmm. But on top of this, they can potentially receive support for the underlying reasons of the behaviors. They have 
an act that has come into play called the European Convention for the Protection of Pet Animals. And you can find more about this at www.animallaw.info. It consists of not causing a pet unnecessary pain, suffering, or distress, not engage in any activities that place a pet's health and welfare at risk, not allowing abandonment of a pet animal, providing guidelines for who can own a pet, mm-hmm. ethical breeding, regulations on trading, commercial breeding, and boarding, and animal sanctuaries, which require anyone involved in these activities to be responsible, knowledgeable, and competent in properly caring for the animals in any of these environments. So this means taking preventative measures instead of enforcing consequences when an animal has been abused. And these protective measures exist for the welfare of the animal, not just the owner of the animal. And there's other legislation as well. But those were kind of the main aspects of it. I am completely on board with that. (laughs) That should be a global thing. As long as it is not taken and abused. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's written in a way that cannot be. Mm -hmm. 100%. Thank you, UK and Europe, for leading the way in the movement of animal rights. Because it is a movement. Mm -hmm. It's been a movement for many, many, many years. We just have to make sure that we don't go off the rails with it. It is a balance. Mm -hmm. It's not a this way or that way. Let's have a conversation. You're not bad for what you think. I'm not bad for what I think. But let's do what we can to put the animals in the mix, Mm -hmm. give them a voice and not have our human egos decide for them. Mm -hmm. That's my final thought. And I'm (laughs) going to keep it at that because I've had said quite a bit tonight. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any questions, you can email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us at our Facebook group, the Animal Files community. You can follow us on our page, the Animal Files official. We also have a Twitter, the Animal Files. So reach out. Let's have a conversation. Let's try to find the balance. Mm -hmm. Instagram as well. (laughs) Yes, we're everywhere. (laughs) Let's find the balance so we can make sure that these animals, that they're being given a voice. And that is what this whole show has been about at its very core is let's give the animals a voice. Mm -hmm. Let's stop fighting and say, okay, animal, come in here, join the conversation. Yeah. Again, it's all about understanding them, having compassion and respect, communicating with them instead of putting our human conditions on them and our human feelings on them, Mm -hmm. learning to understand what they are saying on their level. Exactly. And with that, I think we're done for this week. Holy crap, that was a lot of information. (laughs) So tune in next week and we will be talking about animal welfare, our part two of our three show series. And this is where you're gonna see a little bit more of that balance come in because animal welfare gives animals more of a voice, Mm. in my opinion. Let's see where that conversation goes. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye for now. See you later. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.